If you'll take your Bibles this morning and open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, I know that we just recently started a series in the book of Judges. We'll be picking back up with that next week, um, uh, continuing our series through Judges next week. Um, that will be going on for some time. But I want to turn our attention today to Luke chapter 12. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 7, more specifically even verses 6 and 7. Today is... Uh, uh, known as the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and so I thought it would be good and helpful for us to give some attention and thought towards that very issue uh, from a biblical perspective. And I want to try to do that this year on several issues related to, um, uh, I think, that are important to the church. Uh, uh, things like this, or racial reconciliation coming up in February, these are all things that our denomination helps to give attention to. These are not political issues. These are gospel issues. And we want to be a gospel voice in a world that likes to distort and confuse the truth. And so that's part of our purpose this morning, is to help bring some biblical bearing on issues that we engage and have to deal with in our culture, in our day and time. And so we want to be found faithful in doing that. And so, with that in mind, I want to read chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 of the Gospel of Luke, uh, and then we will pray. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we can gather today and hear from your word. Lord, we know that it is your word that, that brings us the understanding that we need about you, about life, about ourselves, Lord. Your revelation is so central to our existence, Lord, so that we could know about you and know all the things that you intend for us to know. And so, Lord, today, as we give our attention to the issue of life and valuing life, Lord, uh, Lord, help us to realize this is not a political talk. God, this is a biblical talk. This is a biblical issue, one that we can no longer turn our backs upon, but Lord, something that we must really engage and do so in a way that's faithful to you and it recognizes exactly the value that you place on human life. So Lord, help us to do that in a way that brings you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Dr. Russell Moore, he's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Back in 2013, wrote an article that was in Christianity Today. The article was entitled, Why I Hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. This is what he wrote. Don't get me wrong. The call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is a joy. Nothing is more thrilling than opening the word of God to the people of Christ week by week. But it provokes my spirit to preach the sanctity of human life emphasis on a Sunday morning. I don't hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I think somehow it'd be unbiblical. No, indeed, the entire canon of scripture throbs with God's commandment to the fatherless and to the widows, his wrath at the shedding of innocent blood. I don't hate it because I think it's inappropriate. Just as every Lord's Day should be Easter with the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus and Christmas with the announcement of the incarnation, so every Lord's Day should highlight the worth and dignity of human life. I hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I'm reminded 
that we have to say things to one another that human beings shouldn't have to say. Mothers shouldn't kill their children. Fathers shouldn't abandon their babies. No human life is worthless regardless of skin color, age, disability, economic status. The very fact that these things must be proclaimed is a reminder of the horrors of this present darkness. I think Dr. Russell Moore states it quite well. This is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And it is not something that we should speak of as if we are happy that we have to address this kind of topic. Certainly we should be happy that we are able to see God's perspective in this and that we need to communicate that and that we need to be found faithful defending that. But at the same time, it does remind us that we live in a fallen, dark, corrupted world where we have to address issues like this that when you read scripture and that you realize these things are pretty straightforward common sense things. But nevertheless, we still have to give biblical perspective to issues that may seem quite obvious. Really, at the end of the day, what I want us to take away from this message today, and I, what I think we will find in, chap, in, in passages like Luke chapter 12, is simply that all life is valuable to God. All life, all human life, at every level of human life, at every stage of human development is valuable to God and that ought to lead us to do many kinds of things in response to such a recognition. All life is valuable to God. And so we turn our attention to the Gospel of Luke here in chapter 12. And in this larger context of Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching his disciples how they must trust and follow the Lord, especially in the midst of difficult days and specifically in light of some persecution that they're facing from the religious establishment of the day. And so he's helping encourage, Luke 12 is really some exhortation to them to be faithful, to stay the course, and to walk in truth. And even though that, that, will, not become, that, that, even though that will not be easy for them, even though they are receiving pressure, even though they are being persecuted, they are called to be faithful. They are called not to fear, specifically in this text, they are called not to fear their persecutors, but rather fear the Lord, the one that has control and authority over them. That is the context in which we're looking at today. But one of the things that Jesus does in the midst of that exhortation for them to fear the Lord and not fear their persecutors is that he gives an argument as to why they should do that. And his argument here in Luke chapter 12, verses six and seven specifically, is that you are to fear God because your life is valuable and it should be, you should be reminded just how good and how generous and faithful God is to you because he values you. And in response, we ought to fear him and worship him and follow him. So that's exactly what Jesus does. He's encouraging them to fear God because of how much God values and cares for them. I want us to notice several observations about this value that God has for life from this passage, and we'll be looking at a few other passages as well today. Three observations in particular about God's value of life that you and I need to see and understand. And as a result, we'll look in just a little bit later at several things that we should, and in ways that how we should respond to this truth. 
First truth that emerges from here, from the gospel of Luke chapter 12 is this simple truth. God values all life. God values all life. As Jesus reminds his followers here to have the right kind of fear, the fear of God, he reminds them about God's providential care over all of life. It's illustrated by the fact that God values even the sparrow. You see that, don't we? He says, I tell you, verse five, fear him. Verse six, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? A sparrow, especially in Jesus's day, was not something thought of as very valuable. In fact, sparrows were often considered something very insignificant and was very accessible to the poor. The poor would often buy a sparrow for for their meal. And it was said during Jesus's day that you could often purchase two sparrows for a penny, right? This is before the Dollar Tree. You get two sparrows for a penny. So to get five sparrows for two pennies, you can do the math, buy four, get one free, right? This is what we're seeing here. So it, it again just emphasizes how insignificant the sparrows were in the greater society and especially this fifth sparrow thrown in for free. And Jesus says here that not one of them, not one of them, even that fifth one thrown into the mix, so to speak, not one of them is forgotten before God. They are all valuable because God made them and God has seen them as valuable. So what was considered to be insignificant in the, in the, under, in the mindset and understanding of the society was seen as valuable here to the Lord. Because God is creator, the things that he has made, the things he has created is valuable to him. He doesn't just place value on the big or important things while allowing the smaller and insignificant things to kind of fall through the cracks or escape his care. The point being here is that his providential care, his concern extends to all of creation. A sparrow can't even fall out of a tree without God's knowledge. It magnifies his sovereignty over all of life. Points to the fact that God is creator and he's the sustainer of all things. Even a tiny, insignificant sparrow does not escape his knowledge or even his will. All of creation is important to God because creation belongs to him. He made it and he takes notice. So a simple point straight out of the box here is, is that God values all life. This is one of the reasons that we should see him and fear him and know him and walk in his ways is that he extends value to all life. But point number two, God especially values human life. God especially values human life. What, what we find in Luke chapter 12 is not a biblical argument for a bird sanctuary, as good as those may be. Maybe good to have a bird sanctuary, but that's not the point of Luke chapter 12 is that birds matter to God, therefore we should have bird sanctuaries. That would be a misunderstanding, a misapplication of this text. But what he's doing here, he's making an argument from the least to greatest to show the value and specifically the extreme value that he places on human beings. Jesus is saying, you have no reason to fear those that seek to harm you because God is aware of even the smallest sparrow. And if he's aware of even the smallest of sparrows in this world, know that he makes note of you because you are of more value than the sparrows. 
Remember the creation account back in Genesis. As God created, we know that as he went along and as certain things were created, he would pronounce the he would pronounce his creation as being good. But once he created man and woman, male and female in his image, we know that he pronounced creation as being very good. We are the crown of his creation. Man is the crown, the crown jewel of, of creation. And so the point again is that if God cares about sparrows, how much more will he care about the crown of his creation? And especially those he has sought to redeem by the sacrifice of his own son. The word value here just simply means preeminence. It, it takes precedence. So the question that would come is, if God values all life and God especially values human life, why? Why does God place so much value on us in particular? Why are we of more value than the birds or the parts of creation? People for the ethical treatment of animals would not see this in the same light. PETA it would say what well, an ant's value is just as important as a human life. And so why would we beg to differ? Why would we say that God places more value on humans than he does other parts of creation, even when other parts of creation are valuable? Two reasons I want to give you this morning. Number one, we are made by God, and what I mean by that is in a specific sense. You might say, well, even the sparrows were made by God. Anything that lives were made by the Lord. They were created by the Lord. But I want you to notice in Psalm 139, the meticulous care that God took in making us. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them, how precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, there are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Psalm 139 is a passage that reminds us just how much God cares about us because of the, the specific care in which he took to create human life. Our life began in the mind of God back in eternity past. You existed in the mind of God before you were even physically made, but it physically began when you were conceived in your mother's womb. I know that we think about a human being coming into existence, that it requires the contribution of a man and a woman, but here when this passage and in other passages like these, we know that very much and very specifically, God is involved in creating us. He formed our inward parts. He knitted together people in their mother's womb. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. I love that description there in 139. We are intricately woven. The detail in which God took to make us and create us and bring our life into existence 
is beautiful. Every human being matters because we were intricately woven together by the Lord himself. We were made by God. The second reason that we should value human life is that we were made like God. To help us answer this question, why we should value human life over, over other life, is because we are the crown jewel of his creation. We are unique in the created order. If you go to Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, we see this so clearly. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. There we find that we are created in the image of God. The Imago Dei is very present here in the biblical account of Genesis 1 and, and demonstrated all the way through the scripture. What does this mean that we're created in the image of God? Well, I will tell you, there's been a lot of discussion throughout the ages on what this means exactly. And let me just say at the end of the day, we have some good ideas as to what this means, but, but it's so, so huge and so significant that I think that we we will not fully know all the ramifications of what this means, even though we have some good ideas. Simply put, it means that we reflect and represent God's image before the world. We bear his image, and we do that in many different ways. We, we have an intellectual ability, some more than others, but we all still have intellectual ability. We have a moral awareness. There's a spiritual aspect to our lives. We have the ability to make rational decisions and then we're also immortal. You think about that. Think about my dog, my dog Jax, Springer Spaniel. Most of us like the dog. He's a fairly smart dog, even though when he gets loose, he doesn't like to come back. You'll say, Jax, come here, and he just runs the opposite direction. Not, doesn't make rational decisions. And so you can see very much a clear distinction between my dog who I can teach to obey, but still is, is a bit wild and doesn't have this moral awareness, doesn't have an intellectual ability, doesn't have the ability to make rational decision, is not immortal. Shouldn't say that in front of my kids, but it's true. Fast difference between a dog and a human being. We reflect the image of God. Now, certainly since the fall and the sin, this image has been distorted. It's like a mirror that now has a crack in it. But nevertheless, the mirror with the crack in it still is a mirror. You can still see in it, even though it's distorted and broken. We very much still bear the image of God. Men and women bear the image of God, but it's a broken, distorted image because of sin. And part of God's work of redemption is not only to redeem us and save us for heaven, he redeems us and saves us to conform us into the image of his son. He is in the, he's in the process of reconstructing our image after his likeness because of sin. It's a beautiful fact. But when you consider these realities, one, that God was intricately involved in our coming into being, two, that we're made in his image, that that should 
That should clearly tell us that we, are to be, that we ought to be ardent defenders and protectors of life from the womb to the tomb, right? I heard that before, I thought it sounded good, I didn't make that up. From the womb to the tomb, we ought to be speaking and defending and protecting life at all levels. And friends, this is not a message, please hear me, even though I'm going to give statistics, and even though it is a massive issue in our culture, this is not just a sermon about why should we be against abortion. It is that. But this is talking about life from the womb and from creation and how we come about even after the womb. We ought to be defending life and speaking into issues. Because again, the fact that we live in a culture that still debates when life begins and the fact that we can have control as to when life ends tells us that we live in a very confused society that does not understand these two simple truths that we've pointed out, that we are intricately made by God and that we are made in the image of God. Society has rejected those as viable categories altogether. We have to have debates over when life begins and when life is able to end, and we should see that as severely problematic. This is not a political issue, it's an image of God issue. We know the issue of abortion still continues to be a prominent struggle. And just a few statistics that come from really back in 2011 when we have some more specific numbers, Here's a few things to consider. 53 million abortions since 1973's Roe versus Wade. It's estimated, this is an estimate, that one in three women will have abortions by the age of 45. In 2011, there were 1.6 million abortions. That was down from 1.2 million in 2008. 58% of women are in their 20s. 61% have one or more children already. 56% never been married, 69% economically disadvantaged, and listen to this, 73% report a religious affiliation. Friends, we must be a voice that speaks into this issue. We must not be a voice that blows people up at clinics. We must be a voice that speaks directly to this issue because it is a gospel issue. It is an image of God issue. What I found is that Christians tend to be angry and overzealous in, in their response to this or altogether silent. Because we need to speak into this issue with clarity and with faithfulness. When we either support abortion or pursue it, we are not defending the right of a woman. We are rejecting the sovereign authority of God. That child growing in a woman's womb is precious and valuable to God. Listen to this. It is precious and valuable to God no matter the circumstances that got it there. And yet we must be willing as the people of God to extend grace to those who have struggled with this issue and even to those who have had abortions. One in three women. If those statistics are true, And every single one of us would know someone. You might be here this morning and you might be here and have had an abortion. Nobody knows it but you. Maybe you're here and you you just silently are bearing that burden. Friend, let let me just remind you 
that you, if you have gone through that, you are still loved by God. You are still cared for by the one who made you and created you in his image. Grace is still available for you. God's forgiveness through Christ is still yours to be had. Friends, you should know that you have a savior who loves you and died for you. Cling to him, trust in him, walk in his grace. Don't bear that burden of guilt and weight without running to the cross and finding hope in Christ. Church, as a church, we must be faithful in defending life. We must speak to this issue faithfully and diligently and loudly and be involved in seeking all that we can do to limit these. But we must also come alongside of those who have struggled and who have been part of this industry. And it's not just abortion. We could go on and on about the need for us to protect human life, the, the issues of human cloning and reproductive technology, to issues of human trafficking and to issues related to the disabled and disadvantaged, the oppression of the poor, and on and on we could go. There's issue after issue after issue that is not a political, social issue, it is an image of God issue that we as Christians have to embrace and understand that we have to be a voice speaking with God's wisdom into these issues. Why? Because life is valuable. Whether it's a first trimester baby in the womb, a young child with Down syndrome, a homeless beggar, a woman trapped in the sex industry, those who live in poverty, or those who seem to have it all together. All lives are valuable to God because they're made in the image of God. And we must defend that, we must protect that, we must care for people, it doesn't matter who you are. God makes no distinction when it comes to the value of human life. God makes no distinction as to who is not and who is created in the image of God, male or female, rich or poor, white or black, old or young, sick or healthy, strong or weak. You, friend, matter much to God because you were made in his image and after his likeness. And we may want to apply these issues to issues like abortion and reproductive technologies or those kinds of things, but friend, even that person that you detest in your heart, and you may have good reasons to be angry at those kinds of people, that you may need to be reminded that that person too is created in the image of God and that they have value because they are an image bearer. You need to care for them and seek to do everything that you can as an image bearer to value the life of other image bearers. Every human life matters much to the Lord because every human life has been created in his image and after his likeness. But not only that, we see that God values every detail of life. He values all life, he especially values human life, but he values every detail of our life. Not only does our life matter to God, the very details of our life matter to him. He doesn't just see you as a person that exists without the details, he sees you and knows every detail. Look at verse seven, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now for some of you, that's not very impressive. We'll say, well that wouldn't take long. But told that the average human head has approximately 140,000 hairs. That's a lot and God has numbered them all. 
that kind of attention to detail demonstrates just how interested and involved God is in your life. If he has taken the time to number every hair on your head, and for some of you, he's doing a lot of subtracting, but if he's taken the time to do that and to count them and to number that, that just demonstrates the, the, the concern God has for you. God's care for us does not end at the moment we're born, but he continues to be intimately involved in every detail of our lives. Significant or insignificant, God cares for you. There's nothing in our lives that God doesn't take notice of. And he's working in the details of our lives in thousands of ways we never even realize on a daily basis. You realize right now that God is so aware of you. He knows you better than you know yourself and he is at work in ways in your life right now that you don't even realize. He is already ordaining events coming up in your life to be in just the right way and just the right place because he cares for you. Look at several passages of scripture. Even that breath you just took, given to you by God. Job 34, 14 and 15. Every day you live, numbered by God. Psalm 139, verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. That's not an excuse to eat chocolate and Doritos right? It's always said that we can be sure that we, we can't change the quantity of our days, but we can sure change the quality of our days. God's numbered your days. He's given you breath. All our actions are under his care. Acts 17 verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. You are here today for many reasons, but one of those reasons being a, a demonstration of God's sovereign authority in your life and his providential care for you. All our steps are ultimately directed by God. Proverbs 20, verse 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. We could go on and on, but what all these things remind us is just as how, it, it reminds us just how much God cares for us. And if he cares for us at that level and in that way and concerning those kinds of details, that means we can trust him with anything that comes our way. Nothing is too big or too small to not bring to the Lord. This is why we should fear God alone and not man. Man does not ultimately hold sway over us. Even as sinners, even as broken mirrors, we still matter much to God. And friends, if that is true from God's perspective, then certainly, certainly it must mean that we are called to imitate him and strive to value human life at every single stage of life. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? I want to just give you three things in application today. When we think about the value that God has given us. Number one, 
Find your value and identity in the Lord and nothing else. Find your value and identity in the Lord, period. You are valuable because you bear the image of God, period. Too many people are seeking to find value and identity in everything else but God. And friend, you and I do this. We seek to find value in our relationships, identity in our relationships. We seek to find value and identity in striving to be successful or trying to have some kind of appearance before others. And I'm not saying relationships are unimportant or appearance is something you should just totally do away with or you shouldn't strive to be successful. I'm not saying you should quit doing any of those things when those things are important, but they're not ultimate. They're not what define you. What defines you is your value and worth that you have because God made you. That's what describes, that's what defines you. That's what brings you your identity. And so many of us are seeking to find identity in so many other things except for how God has made us. You are valuable to the Lord as you are. And friend, we need to remember that also in our perspective of others. We need to view others in the same way. Find value and identity in the Lord. Number two, we need to engage in matters of social justice, seeking to defend the vulnerable, beginning with those in the womb. Proverbs chapter 31, verse eight says this, open your mouth for the mute. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. What that says, the Hebrew word for open your mouth means open your mouth, all right? It means be audible, speak with discernment and with clarity and with a right demeanor, certainly, but it doesn't say you can't do anything much about it, so you should just be silent. It says open your mouth. And not just for one issue or this issue, but for many issues, for the rights of all who are destitute. And it includes a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people. And so many times what we do as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we will sometimes speak and sometimes we will remain silent. There is a time and there is a place for social involvement. So many times evangelicals have said that social involvement has so been, a, uh, so been so much affiliated with liberalism where they've kind of turned social work into the gospel itself. We want to avoid that, certainly. But it doesn't mean we should disengage from these matters. It means that we should pursue them. It means we should be involved in them with a gospel perspective. Just think about poverty. Poverty is an issue that plagues so many people and we're oblivious to it, frankly because we live in one of the richest counties in the whole United States of America. Most of us have jobs making thousands of times more than most of what people could imagine in the world today. And poverty, while we may give some thought to it, is oftentimes not on our radar screen. How many times have we been in a city, myself included, 
and we've seen that homeless person sitting there and we just find that awkward and we just kind of do this. So we're walking away. It's a reflection of our heart, isn't it? It isn't your place to determine whether or not that person is abusing the system or whether or not this person has a right to do that or doesn't have a right to do that. We're called simply to engage. Human trafficking, it's an epidemic. This Friday at Cornerstone Presbyterian, you can go to a workshop dealing with that very thing. I encourage you, if you have time to go, go, go learn about the issue of human trafficking from a biblical Christian standpoint this week. Cornerstone Presbyterian, great church, go learn. Go learn about that. Go be informed about that. World hunger, homelessness, on and on we can go. There are so many issues that deal with the value and worth of human life that needs a gospel voice. It does not need a Republican voice. It does not need a Democrat voice. It needs a Christian voice. Friends, let's learn to speak from biblical talking points, not CNN and Fox News talking points. Let's learn to be wise as Christians and learn how to speak to issues from a right perspective and in a right way engage in matters of social justice. We could spend an entire sermon series on this. I'm just saying we need to engage, not disengage. And there are right ways to engage and wrong ways to engage, but the point is we need to engage. Number three, we need to fight for life, period. We can certainly rant on social media. I don't know how helpful that is from time to time. And, but we do need to be wise and productive when it comes to fighting for issues of life. Two simple points in that, get informed and get involved. As a Christian, unapologetically, as a Christian, get informed and get involved. Places like the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, plethora of resources. We have a bulletin to hand out for you today that's just an example of some of the things that they're doing. This week, again, there's another conference. If you want to just fill your week with conferences, Evangelicals for Life in Washington, D.C., putting on a tremendous event this week, speaking to these very issues. Evangelicals for Life, Google that. Here in DC, close by, you can go be involved. Things like the Psalm 139 Project where you can help, uh, help invest in, in getting sonograms for crisis pregnancy centers. Learn, be informed, and then get involved. We have CareNet right here in our own community, Crisis Pregnancy Center. Friends, you can get involved by yourself, mobilize your home group to be part of that that local ministry, learn how you can maybe be part of helping counsel women or counseling men in moments of crisis in their lives so that you can be a gospel voice, a Christian voice speaking into the lives of these people who don't know where to turn and don't know what to do. I know many of you have done that. Consider adoption. One of the things that I have found is that Christians love to speak hard against abortion, which we should, but how many of us are willing to adopt? You need to consider it. Some of you may say, well, my house is kind of full. Well, that's understandable. There are others of you that should consider this. Consider it as a way to invest. Consider it as a way to fight for life. Be willing to involve yourself. 
And number four, pray often. Pray for issues related to our society often. Pray for social justice issues. Pray for life issues. Pray that our leaders and our nation, pray for our churches, pray for ourselves to be involved in a way that will help life, not hinder it. God values human life. And it's a simple illustration in Luke chapter 12, but this simple illustration ought to take a ripple effect in our hearts so that as we see life as God sees life, that we view human beings, whether they're just conceived in the womb or whether they're struggling for their last breath, that we see them as valuable people made in the image of God and that we're willing to do whatever it takes to defend their life and to speak for their value. Christians, we have that responsibility. We have that responsibility to be people created in the image of God, to fight and to value and to defend those who are created in the image of God. And we do that faithfully day at a time as God has given us opportunity to. Let's be people who value human life and let that be a reflection of our devotion to God and a reflection of our determination to serve him in ways that he's called us to, in ways that he's engaging us to go and speak as a Christian voice in a culture that has nothing, nothing to do with valuing human life. Let's be faithful in doing that to his glory and for the good of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder this morning. God, we know that there's so much going on in our world and there's so many issues. God, we could give our attention and time to so many issues. And some issues, Lord, are just continue, just continue to, to show such a blatant disregard of what is so clear in your word, Lord. God, would you give us the wisdom that we need, the discernment that we need, the motivation, the encouragement that we need, the push that we need, Lord, would you give us all that we need by your grace to be a gospel people, speaking into this world with truth that this world needs to hear. And Lord, it is true that many will disregard what we have to say. Many will just ignore our arguments. But Lord, that does not mean that we should run and hide. It doesn't mean that we should stay silent. It means we should continue to open our mouths. It means that we should continue to invest in doing all that we can that places extreme value on the dignity of every human being created in your image and after your likeness. God, would you help us today to be people who do invest well for that cause. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us where we have been silent. Forgive us where we have remained silent, where we have not acted when we know we should have. Lord, forgive us for not being properly informed. Forgive us, Lord, for, for failing. Help us to God be more diligent. And Lord, I do pray for those in this room right now, Lord, that they may have struggled with these issues. But there may be a young lady in this room or maybe not a young lady, maybe someone who's older, has gone through an abortion or they've even 
Maybe they've had the thought and they just feel guilty for even having the thought. Lord, I pray right now that they would know the riches of your grace. God, that they would know the forgiving grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would just allow them to to not bear the weight of their guilt anymore, but God, that they would find release from that by knowing that Jesus died for them. God, would you help them see that even in the midst of their guilt and shame, that there is hope and healing in Christ. Father, you know the struggles of our own hearts. God, you know where we fall short in this issue, Lord. God, every, every human life is valuable to you. Would you help us to see that? Would you help us to live in a way that honors that? for your glory, for your honor. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.